Happy New Year. 2011 is upon us. We're in a series that we've been doing since last year. So we're going to finish that up today. Uh, This is actually part three of a four-part series. And if you were at the Christmas Eve service, you heard part four. We've been looking at a specific prophecy that an Old Testament prophet told about this coming Savior that was going to be born, this Son. And we know now the prophecy is about Jesus, but we know that these people that Isaiah, the prophet, was talking to were going through a difficult time. They'd made some really bad decisions. Things were really difficult. They'd had some really bad leaders that had pulled their hearts after other gods. And the prophet Isaiah, like all Old Testament prophets, had some really convicting news for them, like, you better stop doing this or else, or here's what God's going to do because of what you have done. But right in the middle of all of this talk about God's either punishment or wrath or consequences, there's this one verse tucked away in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where he talks about there's going to be something better coming. There's going to be a son born that's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a a, a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father, and he's going to be a prince of peace. Wouldn't it be great to start out 2011 with a clear understanding of what an everlasting father really is? Because Isaiah gives it really clear. This is what he's going to be as an everlasting father. For some people, when, when I even mention the word father and I kind of parallel that with God, you don't really have anything to compare to. Or maybe what you have to compare to is bad. Maybe your dad was non-existent. Maybe you grew up in a, a single mother household. Maybe he was, he was distant. Maybe he was critical. Maybe you don't know what it's like for a father to put his arms around you and tell you that he loves you. Maybe your father was abusive. And there's a lot of people, I think, stay out of the family of God because when they start to get this idea of father in their mind, the perception they have is so distorted of what a father should be. They just can't relate to God on that fatherly level. See, in these people in the Old Testament, the Israelite nation, they had had some really bad fathers because to them... Father was not just the term to describe the person who provided half of the DNA for you to be born. It was much greater than that, much more generic than that. They would think of the term father a lot of the ways we think about if we say our founding fathers or our forefathers. That's how they thought when they heard the term father. It wasn't just this biological uh, relationship with you with another person. It was any male to them, pretty much, who was in authority over you. So an uncle could be a father, uh, anybody like in charge, any kind of government official, they could be a father, and a king could be a father. And they referred to their kings as the father of a nation. So when Isaiah said everlasting father, the new concept for them was not father, it was this idea of everlasting. So they began to think, you mean there's going to be a father who will never let us down? Because they had had some really bad fathers. Family fathers had been bad. But mainly kings who had, who had led them into idol worship. 
and led their hearts after other gods and really disappointed and let them down. Anybody ever been let down by your by your earthly father or anybody? Let down? Been let down? My, my dad let me down a few times. Not, not always intentionally, probably never intentionally, but I, I was just let down by him. I remember this one time where it was, it was the Boy Scout Jamboree. And if you're a Boy Scout, that's a big deal, right? The Boy Scout Jamboree. And I was like 11 or 12 years old. And, and the, in order to go to the Jamboree, because it was so far away from home, we, you had to have your dad go with you or a male over 18 years old. You couldn't go, you know, it was one-to-one ratio because we were a rough bunch of Boy Scouts, you know what I mean? So they were like, look, it's one-to-one. It's going to take one man to, put, to take care of each boy. So everybody's dad was going, all my best buddies, their dads were going, and, and I asked my dad to go because he'd gone before, and he said, no, son, I can't go this time. I'm busy with work. I got all this stuff going on. I don't remember all the excuses, but I remember being like, just really disappointed, like, Dad, come on. It's three stinking days. You can do it. Couldn't do it. And I grew up living with my mom, so I go to my mom, and I'm like, Mom, Dad won't go, and, and he can't go, and, and I don't want to go because everybody else has got their dad with them, and I don't have anybody. And I, I just don't want to go. And she said, well, maybe your cousin Carl will go. I'm like, I don't want Carl to go. I want Dad to go. That's, I want him to go. I was very disappointed. I mean, I got over it, right? Forgot all about it, and I'll never bring it up again. But, it, but it, it really disappointed me. We've all been disappointed like that. Something's happened in our life that, that's really disappointed us, and that's, that's how these Israelites were viewing these fatherly figures over them as they had been disappointed over and over and over again. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, recognizes that we need to know this one fact, that we need a father that will never let us down. Wouldn't it be great to start a new year with a clear understanding of what it means to have a father that will never let you down? That's why he used the eternal phrase everlasting. It will never end. In fact, about 700 years after this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, this angel shows up to a teenage girl named Mary. And this is what the angel said about this child that was going to be born. The angel said, his kingdom will never end. And what he's saying that is that you can always trust this father that's coming. You can always trust this this child that's going to be born, who's going to be an everlasting father, what he does will never come to an end. Now, a couple of times I referred to Jesus as a father, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was like, was, was like you know, number two. I thought there was, you know, the father, and, and that's God, like the guy in charge, and then there's Jesus, who's like a, just a step down, but still, you know, pretty powerful, and then there's the Holy Spirit that kind of only shows up in some churches, right? I mean, that's what I thought. I mean, you might be thinking that. But that's not really how God is, how God really is. That's not reality. The reality is that God exists with three personalities and one God. It, it's called the Trinity. If you've ever heard someone talk about the Trinity, and on a very basic level, that's what the Trinity said, the doctrine of the Trinity says, is one God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not a hierarchical thing. 
It's just one God, three persons. In the first week of this series, our youth pastor, Todd, talked about how Jesus was going to be this wonderful counselor. And he talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is fully part of this Trinitarian God. And the Son is fully part. And the Father is fully part. And the way he described it was, think about how you scientifically would write water. How would you write that? H2O, right? H2O. So you, you got your deer park, you're taking a drink, that's, that's a bottle full of H2O. But what if you put it on the stove and you boiled it and steam came up? What would that steam, how, how would you write that? H2O. And then you pull it out of the freezer and it's solid, it's H2O. All three are fully water, just in different forms. I mean, we need them all, and, and, and they're all water, and you wouldn't say, well, that's not really water, that's just ice. That's not really water, that's just liquid. All are fully water, the same way all three parts of the Trinity are fully God. So because of that, Jesus can be referred to as God. Jesus can be referred to as the Father, and in fact, refers to himself as being equal with the Father. So Jesus is God, and the Bible says that. That's what separates Jesus from just other teachers. There were a lot of prophets running around the first century and even before and after. But what separates Jesus from the rest of those prophets is that he claimed to be God. Now, there's a lot of religions today, even some parts of of some religions that would call themselves Christian would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is not God. Jesus was just a really good teacher. He was wise and kind of like a kind of like a Buddha. That's what Jesus is. He's just a great, wise teacher. And when people say that, that that's all he was, they're speaking from ignorance because they don't know what the Bible really has to say. But what Jesus claimed to be and what all of his followers saw him to be. They saw him as God. In fact, if you look at the book of John, the fourth book in the New Testament that tells a little more about the story of Jesus Christ. It starts out in John chapter 1 saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, this Word's always been here, this Word's been with God, and this Word was God. And then a little bit later in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's Jesus So this word was God, this word was Jesus, so Jesus is God. That's how you can refer to Jesus as the Father. So this God that exists in three personalities came to earth to show us the very essence of our Creator. So everything He did, everything Jesus did on earth pointed to the fact that He was one with God. Even His disciples who were with Him for three years, it took a while for them to kind of get it. It took a while for them to get their mind. I mean, they were right there with Jesus looking him face to face. And it took a little while for them to grasp it because even towards the end of his life and ministry, they were still saying, Jesus, show us the Father. And here's how he answered in John 14. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, 
Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So what does an everlasting Father look like? Jesus. If I want to know what God acts like and looks like, then I need to look at what Jesus acts like and what Jesus looks like and what Jesus believes and how he interacts. That's how I get to know the Father is by getting to know Jesus Christ. That one piece of information is what started the whole thing going of the religious leaders wanting to kill Jesus. Because when you say, I'm one with the Father, it means I'm equal to God. I'm equal with Him. To them, when they would hear Jesus say, I'm one with the Father, they would immediately think, He's claiming to be God Himself. He's claiming to be on level with God. That's blasphemous. Let's kill Him. That's why they wanted to kill Him, because He was claiming to be one with God. But yet when Jesus taught, He was just trying to let people know, this is what God is like. This is what a father is like. And you would think these religious leaders who are supposed to be the really smart people when it comes to religion would be able to look at the 700-year-old prophecy and go, you know what, he he did say he was going to be an everlasting father. So if Jesus is claiming to be God, he's claiming to be the father, then that makes total sense because Isaiah, our prophet 700 years ago, said it. Nobody was saying that. They were saying, kill him because he's claiming to be God. He can't do that. So religious people were always giving Jesus this really difficult time because while he was just trying to show people the Father, that's all he was trying to do. He was trying to show people a Father that is truly everlasting. Isn't it easy to be a... Dads, isn't it easy to be a father when kids do exactly what you say? It isn't much easier. If, If the room gets clean, you never have to say anything. Isn't that awesome? Does it work that way? doesn't work that way. Because they mess up. They make mistakes. They don't get the room clean. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They make huge mistakes, big errors in judgment. That's when a child really needs a father is when they make big mistakes. And so Jesus is trying to describe for us, this is what a father's like. Anybody ever make a huge ju- error judgment around your parents? I mean, like whopper. This time, one time I was talking to my mom and I was really not happy about something. I don't remember what it was, but I said a word that you should never say to your parents, ever. And, and we were, and I didn't call her a name. I was just in my anger. It, boom, it came out. And we were right in front of where my dad, like literally right in front of where he worked. She said, you march in there and you tell your father what you said. And I was like, oh, beat me, you know, hit me. Don't make me go tell dad. And so I go in there and I'm like walking in his office trying to explain what I said. And what? Just say it, son. Say it. Say it. I, I, dad, I meant to say shoot, first of all. Let me just qualify. This is what I really meant to say. But it just didn't come out that way. And, you know, he, he, I thought, this is my last day on earth. I'm going to die. You know, I'm not even a teenager yet, and life is over. A lot of us have upset our parents in a lot of different ways. What happens when we upset God? What happens when we don't do what God would have us do? 
That's the kind of people Jesus was out teaching. People who didn't do what God wanted them to do. People who had made huge errors in judgment. People who had said things they're not supposed to say and done things they're not supposed to do and found themselves living very, very far away from God. I've been there. You've been there? Living a long way from what God would want you to do. So Jesus would have known about this prophecy about him. And when they start giving him a hard time about, why why are you doing this? He tells him a story and he picks a father to illustrate what God is like. And this story is recorded in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to read the whole thing about what Jesus has to say about what a father should be like. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out, and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father, but... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In this story, Jesus tells us several things about an everlasting father. If you just start reading, well, what's a fa- Jesus trying to tell us what a father's supposed to be like. So what, what's Jesus trying to tell us? Well, a father gives me freedom. That's what this father did. I mean... When, he came, when the son came to him and said, hey, dad, how about you just go ahead? You're getting old, and I know you got some money back there. I've seen it. Can you just go ahead and float me all that now so I can just go ahead and enjoy it? Now, not later. I want it now. The dad didn't have to give it. The dad could have said, get back out there and go to work, you dummy. You know, he could have just said, no way. I'm not giving you the money. I bet when the dad was counting out the coins or what, you know, the the gold coins and all the stuff, I bet the dad was just shaking his head saying, son, you are getting ready to make a huge mistake. But he loved him so much. But why would he do it if he knew he was going to make a mistake? Because he loved him. He didn't want his son staying there out of obligation. He said, I want you to stay with me by choice. So here you go. And he knew, boy, you're getting ready to learn some big lessons. He gave him the freedom to make mistakes. God gives us that same freedom to make mistakes. Now, God can control us and make us all robots and say, you must do this here and you must do this there. 
But he didn't. He gave us free will. Parents, how much better is it when you're, you come home and the kids' rooms are clean and the dirty clothes have been, have been picked up and the dishes have been washed? Isn't that like kids? Let's go shopping. Come on. That was great. I mean, most of the time in my house, you have to motivate. You know, it's not, it doesn't just naturally happen, that kind of stuff. You got to motivate. It's surprising what a, a, a cell phone and an iPod can motivate kids to do. I mean, it's crazy. They'll, they'll clean their rooms. They'll scrub the floor with a toothbrush. Whatever you ask, if you threaten, these things are going to go. But isn't it so much more meaningful, parents? And if you're a teenager living here, in here, listen. Because it means so much more to us as parents when you just naturally do what needs to be done. Now, we can force you to do it because we, we have the money, okay? You don't have the money. We control the, the you know, credit cards and all that stuff. So we can force you and say, if you don't do this, then you're not going to get this. And we can pull some of your freedom away. And, and we, we have to do that as parents sometimes. But it is so much more meaningful to us when you just do it. And that's the kind of freedom that God wants us to have. Now, when you have freedom like that, you're going to end up making big mistakes. It's just human nature. God's given us lots of freedom, which sets us up to make lots of mistakes. But he loves us so much that he's willing to take the risk of us making mistakes for us to come to him because we choose to, not because we have to. That's why God gives all of us freedom. And the religious people of Jesus' day, they hated that. Religious people today, they hate freedom. They don't want people to be free. They want it in a box so you can say, you've got to be right here, and if you're not right here, you're not okay. They don't want you to have freedom. They hated it then and they hate it now, but Jesus comes and he offers this freedom to every single person. This young man's freedom caused him to wonder. Your freedom will cause you to wonder sometimes. To wander off and and do things you thought you'd never do. Say things you thought you'd never say. Find yourself in places you thought you would never be. But that's the risk God is willing to take for your love. Because he gives us freedom which means we are going to goof up sometimes. But he never gives up on us. God never gives up on me. He patiently waits. Through the story we just read of this father waiting on his son, Jesus wants us to know he is never going to give up on us. He won't give up on us when we make mistakes. He won't give up on us when we doubt. And he waits on us through all those mistakes and all those doubts and all of our hesitations. I've sat in my office with parents who were dealing with a child that was making bad decision after bad decision with drugs and addiction and even beyond that with crime. And, and one of the parents said, that's it, I'm done. I've given up hope. And I said, don't give up hope. Read this story in Luke 15 because your son's living in this faraway place. But don't give up hope. Yes, you've you got to practice tough love, and you've got to put up boundaries to help people get better, but don't give up hope that they're going to change. 
And don't give up hope that they're going to make the turn one day and say, what have I done? I need to go home. God never gives up on me. So we shouldn't give up on anybody. And definitely we shouldn't give up on ourselves. This young man had because he was saying, I'm worthless. I'm not even worthy to be called your son, Dad. If you could just let me kind of slip out back and stay in the servants' quarters, I'm good with that. Uh, That's fine. He'd lost all self-esteem. Listen what the father did when he saw him. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I mean, can't you just see the dad, especially if you're a parent, can't you just see the dad waiting, waiting out front? Because he knew the son was going to come home. I mean, better than anybody, he would have known the intelligent level, intelligence level of his son and knows this ain't going to last. He's not smart enough to manage this money, but here you go anyway, you'll be back. He just didn't know when. So can't you just imagine this father thinking, today's the day. Today's the day that my son is going to come back. And the same way the son was rehearsing what he was going to do, I bet the father thought, as soon as I see him, I'm going to go hug him. And I'm going to let him know he's accepted. I'm going to let him know he can, he can come home. And can't you just imagine him waiting and looking for that to happen? Not like, boy, when he rounds that corner, I'm going to meet him down there with a switch every step of the way. You know, that's not what he did. He waited, and as soon as he saw him, he ran to him because a father never gives up on a son and God never gives up on me. And God is waiting on you the same way for you to make that trip, for you to round that corner, for you to come up the driveway, the hill, wherever this kid was walking up, that's what God's waiting on you to do. And for you, it might mean stopping something that you're doing in your life, some activity you're involved with. It may mean It may mean severing a relationship that you're in that you should not be in. It might mean taking that step across the line for the very first time and saying, you know what, I've been coming to church and it's time that I truly confess that I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I believe he can forgive my sins. That might be the step you need to take. And just let the world know, I'm done. I'm done pretending I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's some people in here who... Who you, you don't need to take any steps. You've done that. Maybe you've done it more than once. But many of us need to be the ones walking up the driveway and taking the first step. And when that young man took the first step to come home and his dad ran out and he hugged him because he had compassion, you know what that would have communicated to that guy? My father values me. An everlasting father values me and your earthly father may have never let you feel valued in fact he might have made you feel just the opposite like you were worthless but jesus tells us these stories so we can know that we've got a father that values us a hundred percent of the time listen what happened the dad said quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And so the robe and the ring, the reason he he wanted him to have a robe and a ring is so he could say, this is my son right here. 
This is my boy. See the ring? That means he's part of my family. See the robe? That means he's part of my family, and I'm proud of my son. Now, his son had just done some detestable things, some really bad things. He'd taken all of his father's money and wasted it, like going to a place like Vegas and living there and doing the worst things you can imagine. And yet his father was able to put his arm around him and say, see that, that is my boy, and I love him. And then he said, hey, let's have a barbecue. Let's go out in the backyard, fire up the grills. Let's have a big party. He wanted that son to know, yeah, you've messed up, son, but I still value you. You're still, you're still my son, and I, you are valued in this family. And he reinstated him immediately right where he was when he left. And you notice... When you read that story, the, the, the boy is trying to get it out like, Dad, I've done some horrible things. Dad, I, I, I've done this and I've done that. The dad, it's like he doesn't even hear it. It's like as soon as he tries to say, Dad, just let me be a servant. Quick, make this boy want my, my son again. Bring all this stuff out here again. Put him right back to where he was when he went away. He didn't even listen because he was so happy that his son was home. Because an everlasting father, he always welcomes me. No matter what I've done, no matter what kind of lifestyle I've lived, up at the top of the driveway is a father who always welcomes me. There's never a time when God won't accept you. You may not feel like he will, but he will. I'm sure this kid walking home was feeling like I'm about to get a beating after what I've done. But just because you may not feel like it, doesn't mean that God is not standing there saying, just come on back or just take that step. I imagine in a room this size, this many people, some of you are wondering. You're living where that guy was living. And here's what you need to know if that's you. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can start 2011 off knowing and owning that verse knowing and understanding that you can have this relationship with this everlasting Father through Jesus Christ because He's one with the Father. He is the Father. And He's the one that's going to give you freedom to accept you, to value you, to never give up on you, and to always welcome you back. And maybe you've never even taken that step, and we would love to guide you through that today. And You could start the year off saying, that was the year. That finally I understood what it meant to have an everlasting father. Because I'm sure that father got looked at by people around him like, how can you do that? Look what he's done to you. How could you do How could you risk your reputation? How could you do that? But he did it anyway. See, because Jesus wants us to know there's nothing God won't do to get us to respond to him. But there's a couple different ways you can respond today. Because when I read this through this a few weeks ago and knew I was going to teach this, I thought, you can't teach about coming home without giving people an opportunity to do that. You can, 
you can write it on your WhatsApp card and just just write how you're feeling and just say, hey, I really need to, I want to accept Christ or I want to come back or I, I want to feel that love of the Father. Just write that on your WhatsApp card and we'll be in touch. Brian's going to come up right now and he's going to sing a song that goes right with this story from Luke 15. And as he sings the words to this song and you listen and think about where you are with the Father, you can either write on your WhatsApp card, you can sit right there in your seat and you, you, you can just pray and, and ask God to just, God, accept me back or pray whatever is on your heart to God. But talk to us and let us guide you through that decision to let him be your everlasting father. And when everybody else, when, when, when we're dismissed and everybody else is going out, if you want to come and talk about that a little bit, Set up a time to talk more about it. There'll be people on each side of the stage. Or if he just wants to pray with you for a moment, we can do that too. So listen to the words of this song. And think about your everlasting Father.